is fighting God ends poorly. So we're going to uh, very, very quickly, I'm going to just go through a couple of quick things that happened in uh, uh, the last couple of weeks. We're not going to spend long on it because I want to get into our text this morning. But let me ask you this question. Do you ever outright disobey the Lord? And I think all of us that on occasion will have to say, well, on occasion that does happen. But we're going to take this into the prophetic scenario this morning and go there. Thank you, Bethany. Whoops, just popped off. I'm sorry. Try one more time. The second thing is, do you believe there are literal consequences for active sin in your life? Are there consequences? Now, we've talked about this in the past. The Bible states in Hebrews that whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects, he has a father, a son in whom he delights. So God desires every single one of us, if uh, you're doing wrong, uh, most of you, when you're in sin, you know about it. It's, it's not a big mystery. It's not a big secret. You know you've done something. But are there consequences, if you will, for disobeying God? We're going to look at God's arch enemy this morning. We're talking about Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet who uh, are prophetically being spoken about in Revelation. And we're going to find out that God holds them very accountable for what they've done. And by the way, he'll hold us accountable as well. Do you fully understand that you are in a daily spiritual battle? We've talked about this so many times. Ephesians chapter 6, you put on the full armor of God every single day from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed. Are you walking with God? If not, you're going to struggle. You're going to go through difficult times. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to examine the catastrophic outcomes of literally fighting against God. Now, as a very quick review, Revelation chapter 19 talks about the coming back of Jesus Christ to this earth to reign for a 1,000-year period. The event before that, which we've talked about about three weeks ago, is the rapture of the church. That's when God comes down, takes one generation of Christians that will not die, but he'll take them to heaven, ending, if you will, the gap between the 69th and 70th prophetic week of Daniel's calendar in Daniel 9, 26, and 27. So we'll be up in heaven, God's people, dead and alive, that have put their faith and trust in Christ the last 2,000 years. The seven-year tribulation will pick, kick in, which we've gone through between Revelation 6 and 18. And now we're coming literally uh, to the end of Revelation, quite frankly, the end of uh, the world as we know it. God spends very little time in the book of Revelation talking about that thousand-year period, which is interesting because from Revelation 6 to 18, lots and lots of chapters on seven years and then only really 10 verses on the millennial kingdom. Uh, but the prophets outside of Revelation talk greatly about it. All right, so just very quickly, and for our visitors, just very quick, we currently live, you look at where the cross is, we've been living in the church age for 2,000 years. There'll be the seven-year tribulation. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and now we're coming up to that line where you see the King Jesus Christ coming. So that's where we're centered at today as we finish up Revelation chapter 19. Now, the Bible made it clear, we talked about this last week, that when Jesus comes back to reign on this earth, not the rapture, the rapture Jesus comes back to deliver God's people, but when he comes back for that 1,000-year period, he comes to rule with a rod of what? A rod of iron. He's coming down strong, and uh, uh, all people will be required uh, uh, to, to live for the Lord or suffer the consequences. 
But when he returns, all those detractors who will gather at the battlefield of Armageddon, a little bit north of Israel, of uh, uh, Jerusalem, they will be wiped out. All right, let's see if we got her. Thank you. All right, so. No, we don't, but that's all right. I'll just skip that. All right, so we have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, will be coming, and of course, he will indeed rule forever. So let's get into uh, uh, Revelation chapter 19. Now, we went through verses 17 through 19. I'm just going to very quickly go through them to get us in context for this morning. So we're talking about the Battle of Armageddon. When Jesus Christ returns, he comes uh, on the white horse, Revelation 19, verse 10. He comes down with all his saints. They come to the battlefield of Armageddon. And God says in verse 17, to come and to gather yourselves together for the supper of the great God. What's going to happen? Well, we're talking about that rod of iron that is going to come down. He's telling the, the animals this. He says that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses. And he goes through the scenario of the horrible, catastrophic battle that will be taking place. So now we come into the last few verses of Revelation 19, the catastrophic slaughter that will take place by God. So we touched on verse 19 and uh, verse 19 last week. The Apostle John says, And I saw the beast, speaking of the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, speaking of Jesus Christ, who sat on the horse and against his army. So we're, we're in Israel. The battlefield is full. It's filled with uh, uh, whatever's left, if you will, from seven years of horrible, catastrophic death. Uh, many of the uh, scholars believe there'll be several millions of people there, and it's going to be backed up by uh, when we're talking about the catastrophic amount of blood that will be shed, and we'll give you that verse in a little bit. When we're looking at Revelation 19, uh, 20 now, here's where we left off last week. So we're talking about what's going to happen to those individuals that have been out there fighting against God. For the last seven years, these individuals have been doing everything possible to try and thwart God's plan. Well, folks, when uh, you decide to fight against God, it's not going to be good results. I can guarantee you that. Verse 20 says, then the beast, talking of that Antichrist, again, who's the Antichrist? The Antichrist is the individual that at the beginning of that seven-year tribulation is going to make a peace treaty, a covenant with the Jewish people, Daniel 9, 27. For three and a half years, the Jewish people will live in a pseudo-peace. Then in the midst of that, We've talked about this from Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. In the middle of that seven-year period, or after three and a half years, after 42 months, time, times, and half a times, 1,260 days, all synonymous terms in Scripture, what's going to happen? The Bible tells us Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, Satan is literally, who currently has access to God, is going to be kicked out of heaven and cast down to this earth, and it says he is furious because his time is short. The Bible makes it very clear, Revelation 13, that he has 42 months, three and a half years, to do everything he can to try and thwart God's plan. Well, God's plan will not be thwarted, and here's what's going to take place. So here we are, we're at the end of that seven-year tribulation period. Jesus Christ is coming back, and here's the first thing he's going to do. Then the beast, or the Antichrist, was captured, and with him the false prophet 
Again, for those that are new to this, we're talking about the Satanic Trinity spoken of in Revelation 13. Who are the three people of that Satanic Trinity God, or, uh, mimicking God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit? We're talking about Satan mimicking God the Father. We're talking about the Antichrist mimicking Jesus Christ. We're talking about the false prophet mimicking the Holy Spirit. And God says enough's enough. It's time for judgment because the fight against God is not going to end well. Then the beast, the Antichrist, was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. We go back to Revelation chapter 13. You say, well, what are we talking about? These people received the mark. Remember about the mark on the forehead or on the right hand. Revelation 13 says it will be a one world economy. Folks, it's coming. Watch the news. I'll be talking about it coming up on uh, the radio and the television, on the programs I do. Uh, uh, these marks are no joke. These chips are ready to implant. Many of you are aware that chips are currently being implanted in humans. These are not, by the way, the mark of the beast at this point. It is not. So if you know someone who's taken a chip, it is not, uh, it's not what God's talking about here. The chips that God's talking about will be implanted starting at the middle of the tribulation period. All the chip technology, all the things you see taking place today are simply setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So, what does he say? By which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, or if you will, those chips or whatever they're going to be, and those who worshipped his image. Remember what's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. Is there going to be a Jewish temple restored to Jerusalem? Absolutely, the third temple will be built. That's what Antichrist comes on the scene. What does he do? He comes to the Jewish people who for 3,000 years have not had peace, and finally they get peace. Their last temple was torn down in AD 70 by the Romans, and they haven't had a temple since AD 70. Well, folks, shortly after the rapture of church, when Jesus comes back to get his saints and take them home, that Antichrist says, listen, Jewish people, how'd you like to build that third temple? Let's have some peace in Jerusalem. And uh, that third temple will be built in Jerusalem. But what's going to happen? Of course, he's going to stop the sacrifice. The worst holocaust of all time will take place during that last three and a half years. We've talked about it many times. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9, states that two-thirds of all the Jewish people will be killed during that time. Fifteen million Jewish people right now exist in the world. If, indeed, those numbers hold during the tribulation period, that means if there's 15 million Jews, you take two-thirds of that. What's the number? Pretty simple. 10,000 or 10 million people. Six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. The worst Holocaust of all time is waiting to take place by Scripture. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, one-third will be kept by God and brought through that time. So what does God say? Okay, beast, Antichrist, which is a human being, by the way. He'll be satanically charged, but it'll be a human. Okay, false prophets, you who have been deceiving the nations along with Satan himself, along with the beast, here's your just and these two who the antichrist and the false prophet will be cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone it does not pay to fight 
against God Almighty. Revelation 19.21 then, take a look at that field. That is indeed the battlefield of Armageddon. When I go to Israel and you look out over this massive field, where you're usually up on Mount Carmel or up in Nazareth where you can get a fairly good view of it, and you look out over this massive, massive landmass where God makes it clear that all his detractors will end up, all the soldiers from around the world, Zechariah 14, uh, uh, verses 1 to 4, all the armies of the world will be gathered together to fight against Israel. You say, how in the world is that going to happen? I don't know how, but God does. And uh, he made it very clear uh, that that battlefield will be filled with people that hate God, hate the Jewish people. And when Jesus Christ returns, that rod of iron is going to come down, and that will turn into the bloodiest battlefields you've ever heard of or will ever hear of in history. Revelation chapter 14, verse 20, makes it very clear that the blood will rise up to the horse's bridles that's several feet obviously into the air filled with blood you say well how do we know how many people are going to be there well if there's going to be that battlefield filled with several feet of blood in that massive amount of land you can only imagine how many soldiers will still be alive but will be wiped out at that time it does not pay to fight against god and that battlefield, which is beautiful now, filled with beautiful lands, surrounded by the beautiful mountains of Israel, will be filled with the blood of those who decided to fight against God himself. Well, let's move on then and get into Revelation chapter 20 in the first three verses. And uh, what the Bible tells us here in verse 1. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, again, what is God talking about here? Something's going to happen to a good old Satan. And I use that term very loosely. Satan is also going to be judged at this time by God himself. So the two members of the satanic trinity, where are they at this point? Bound up in what? The lake of fire, period. And by the way, never to escape again. Done, over, at the end of that seven-year period. Well, let's move on to verse 2. Then he laid hold of the dragon. Who's the dragon? Well, the Bible tells us that serpent of old, who is the what? The devil and Satan, and bound him for how long? Isn't that interesting? God takes Satan. He's going to bind him up for 1,000 years. Six times in seven verses, God uses the term 1,000 years. It's a literal 1,000-year time period, which is why we call it the millennial kingdom by the way jesus christ will not share his glory he will not share his throne with any other person so god says listen when i come back i'm uh, i'm getting rid of satan uh, uh, i'm getting rid of the false prophet and i'm getting rid of the antichrist i'm getting them off the planet literally so he lays hold of satan and he binds him for a thousand years and we go back to the verse before where is he going to bind, bind him in a place called the bottomless pit now you say, well, where is that place? I don't know. I've never visited it. And uh, I trust I never will. Uh, where, where is it? I can't tell you. I don't know. Uh, some people like to say, well, it's in the core of the earth somewhere. Don't know. Some people say, well, uh, if you look at the, the universe as a whole, there's a place called the black hole. Uh, maybe that's where it is. And I say very kindly, the scriptures don't tell us. I don't know. 
And uh, we have to be uh, open about that, that God at sometimes does not choose to give us all of the details. But what do we know? He says he lays hold of the dragon, that serpent of old. He binds him for 1,000 years. Now, who's ruling and reigning for that 1,000-year period? Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will be on this earth reigning from Jerusalem. And God says, no more Satan. And you know what everybody, uh, uh, not everybody, but many people think? They're like, oh, that's wonderful. There will be no sin during the millennial kingdom. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. There won't be the infiltration of Satan. There won't be the infiltration of the beast and the false prophet. But folks, every single person that's ever been born is born into what? Sin. There's no escaping sin, whether Satan's on the earth or not. Every single person, whether you're here today or whether uh, born during that tribulation or millennial time, is born with a sin nature. The three people that spoke about their testimonies this morning all spoke about their sin nature. Every single person is born with that sin nature. Why? Because Revelation, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 states this, Wherefore is by one man Adam, the first man ever created, sin entered the, into the world and death by sin, and so death passed to all men and women because all of what? All of sin. You can't get away from it. We're all born sinners, which is why every single person during this time, during the Old Testament time, during the tribulation time and during the millennial time, need a savior, regardless of whether Satan's out there fighting or not. Well, here's the interesting thing. Satan is bound for how many years? 1,000 years, 1,000 literal years, verse 3, and he cast him into that bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him. Now, here's the interesting thing, that he should deceive the nations no more till the what? Till the thousand years were finished. It's like, wait a second. Okay, so the Antichrist is tied up for, and the false prophet forever, done, in the lake of fire, according to the, the, the scriptures. And now we're talking about Satan, who's an angel, by the way, not a human. And Satan is cast into this bottomless pit, bound up for a thousand years, so he can't infiltrate the world while Christ is here. And then what's God say? He says, hey, I'm going to let him out. At the end of that 1,000-year period, Satan will be released from the bottomless pit. You say, well, why in the world would God do that? Well, let's see. So, uh, and he cast him into the bottomless pit. Verse 3, shut him up, set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the 1,000 years were finished. But after these things, he, Satan, must be released for a little while. Well, folks... The unfortunate thing about Satan and about what's going to be taking place in this world during that 1,000-year kingdom period, there will be many folks that will enter into the millennium with normal bodies that somehow manage to come to Christ during that horrible seven-year period. Those people will enter the kingdom with physical bodies. They will be able to have children. The Bible makes it very clear that unless someone's in deep sin, they will live that entire 1,000-year period. You say, that's impossible. Nobody can live that long. Uh, may I just remind you, who is the oldest person recorded in Scripture? Methuselah, who lived to be how old? 969 years old. Why is our lifespan so short now? Because of sin. 
God says, I'm tired of you sinning. I'm shortening life. So most of us, Bible says, we get three score and ten or uh, 70 years. Uh, if you get more, it's a blessing. And uh, some of our seniors would say not so much at times, but uh, we deal with the aches and the pains and all of those things. Uh, but God uh, says, listen, if you live past 70, it's a blessing. And uh, uh, what's going to happen? Well, folks, what's going to happen is what's happening today. And I want to take us to today for a moment before we finish the prophetic piece. I want to remind us that what is Satan doing every single day? We talked about a little bit before. Every single day, every single moment, Satan is out there trying to mess your life up. Why? Because he hates you. You say, did you just say Satan hates me? I, I did. Satan hates you. And he doubly hates Christians. He quadruply hates those that are living for him and telling others about Christ and living a godly life. The Bible says to us today, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... Now, folks, uh, we think about those in the military, those in law enforcement, and they go out, and what do they do? They get the best armaments, they get the best uh, weaponry, if you will, because they have to fight an adversary. And God says, listen, young people, says, listen, those in grade school and high school in your 20s and 30s and on up through senior citizens, you have an adversary every single day. Every day when you wake up, there is an adversary. And his name is called Satan in the demonic army. And God tells us very clearly that uh, to be sober. And again, he's talking about what does he mean by sober? Most people go to the alcohol thing. It's, it's kind of along that vein, but it's much deeper than that. It's like be sober. Uh, uh, think about what you're doing. Uh, be directed. Understand. Uh, uh, walk circumspectly, if you will. Stay right with God. Be sober. Uh, have a, a proper mindset. Be vigilant. In other words, folks, he says it's just like that lion. If he came walking through here right now, what would you do? Well, yeah, I guarantee you'd all sudden spark into vigilance. <laughs> you'd be looking, where can I run? Where can I hide? How, how can I protect my family? And God says, listen, you be sober, you be vigilant, because that adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's no joke. God says, listen, now people understand what a lion is. When they wanted to get rid of Christians, of course, some there's debate about some of that historically, but you want to get rid of people and you throw them into the lions, what do the lions do to them? Rip them to shreds, kill them. Think about Daniel. They, they tried to kill Daniel. They threw him in the lion's den, but who protected him? God himself. But they, I mean, it was a way to get rid of people. And God says, just like a roaring lion, uh, uh, seeking whom he may devour, you need to be sober and vigilant. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Folks, every single day when you're tempted, every single day when it gets rough, every single, single day when uh, 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 thoughts come into your head and depression comes into your head and fear comes into your head and uh, uh, things that you're dealing with are, are overwhelming. And it's like, how am I going to get through the day? I wake up every single morning and, and it's like, I don't know if I can go to school. I don't know if I can go to work. I don't know if I can face my spouse one more minute. I don't know if I can uh, uh, deal with my mom and dad or my grandparents or whatever it may be. And, and you go through these times and it's like, how can I make it? It's just so hard and so difficult. And God says, listen, just like uh, uh, you go through these tough times and God says, uh, uh, would you resist it? Be strong, be sober, be, be vigilant. Would you get your head uh, where it needs to be spiritually? Would you get back down on your knees and start praying to God once again? Would you, would you remember that Jesus saves? Would you remember that Jesus transforms? 
forms. Would you remember that the Holy Spirit can be there to lead you and to guide you every single step of your way? Uh, but if you uh, get myopic in your thought and you worry about all the cares and the troubles, and instead of turning to Jesus, instead of turning to the Word of God, instead of turning to prayer, instead of putting your mind where it needs to be, when we try to solve these problems ourselves, you're going to fail. And God says, listen, you got to have the right tools to fight old Satan. Do you have the right tools? Well, they're all there, folks. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Ha! You know you're not alone this morning. Say, Brother Rich, you don't know what I'm going through. I probably don't. Many I do. I know folks that are grieving this morning. I know folks that are fighting depression this morning. I know folks that are sitting on the top of the precipice wondering if they're going to jump off of it. I know folks whose marriages are ready to dissolve. You say, is there any hope? Is there any help? God says it's the same thing. You look around this auditorium, you don't know the burdens that people carry. You don't know the problems that they carry, the heartaches that they go through. And God says, listen, we need each other. It's the brotherhood. We need to strengthen each other. We've got to strengthen each other, help each other. The church that God's love is building. Folks, we've got to keep loving on people. I need you. Did you know that? So, say, brother, brother Rich, you're supposed to be the leader. Yeah, well, I, I have a leadership position, but I need you. And by the way, you need me, and you need the person sitting down the pew from you, and the pew next to you, and down the row, and down the back, and down the sides. Folks, we're a small amount. We're a remnant, and we need each other. And God says, listen, you rally up as God's people, and you resist that devil and fight against him. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, and you will suffer, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And God says, listen, you may go through struggles on this earth. You may go through heartache on this earth. You may go through tough times on this earth. But there's coming a better day. You say, I want that better day today. No, we walk with God while we travail on this earth. The reward is coming. Well, we're going to go down to verse 7. We'll come back to the other verses in between in the next message because God's going to tell us the end of how all what's going to happen with Satan, if you will, is being released. Verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Out of that bottomless pit, God says, I'm going to allow Satan to come out. And what is he going to do? Verse 8. And Satan will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. What are we talking about here? Now, folks, you've got to go through this chronologically. What have we gone through? We're at the end of the what period? How many years? Thousand, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Very clear. You say, well, wait a minute. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 talk about the battle of Gog and Magog when all the Islamic nations rise up and fight against Israel. You're absolutely right. When does that happen? Well, that's towards the beginning of that seven-year tribulation period. By the way, 
Uh, do you ever wonder how that Dome of the Rock is going to come off of that, uh, uh, off of the Temple Mount? How in the world is that Dome of the Rock going to move? How's that Muslim shrine to Muhammad going to move? Well, I'll tell you what, when uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 kick in and the, and the Muslim nations rise up to attack Israel and God wipes them out, not a whole lot of need for a, a dome anymore. The third temple will go up. You say, well, no, it's going to go next to the Dome of the Rock. No, it's not. It's going to go right on top of Mount Moriah where God instituted the first and second temple. Well, I watched a video that says it's going to be in the city of David. Nice video, great, great footage, dead wrong, uh, because God's place is on the top of Mount Moriah, not in the city of David, with all due respect to these wonderful folks that made the video. Uh, but let's get it right. Uh, the Bible doesn't err. It, it states what it states. It means what it means. Uh, that temple will be on the top of Mount Moriah, the land that King David purchased for that third temple. All right, enough of that. So what's going to happen? Satan's released from prison. He's going out. Now, there's been a thousand years of time that human beings have been born. We made the premise, you do not go to heaven unless what? You place your faith and trust in whom? Jesus Christ. Just because you're born during the millennium, just because Satan is bound up for that thousand-year period, does not mean that people are not born with a sin nature. They are, and they must come to Christ. So what's going to happen? This is absolutely unbelievable. Jesus Christ is where? He's ruling and reigning from what city? Jerusalem. He's in, his, he's in the fourth temple, the millennial temple, Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48, by the way. So Jesus is reigning from that temple, and people are still fighting God. And God says, here's what's going to happen, and we've got to be quick about this. We'll go into it more in depth in the future, but here's the simplicity of it. God says, all right, Satan, go out around the world, the entire world, and I want you to gather every single person together who, doesn't put, who did not place or has not placed their faith in me. That's exactly what's going to take place. So he goes out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. Now we look at Gog and Magog, or uh, Ezekiel 37 and 38. Now we have a repeat statement. Well, what are we looking at? Well, it's the same thing. We called it the Gog-Magog battle back in Ezekiel at the beginning of the uh, seven-year tribulation. Now God says, listen, at the end of the 1,000-year period, he calls it the same thing. Why? Because it's those that are going to rise up to fight against him. And we're going to have the exact same results that happened back in Ezekiel. What's he doing? Satan goes out, gathers all the detractors to battle. Here's the horrible thing, folks, whose number is what? As the what? It's up there. The sand. Now, 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 have you ever gone to the ocean? Have you ever looked at the sand? I mean, how? The sand. I mean, that's like massive. I mean, we like to go to Florida and other places, and you go on the beach, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and you stick your toes in the sand and walk out in the water, and it's beautiful. And, but God says, listen, you see all that sand? That's how many people during the millennial time when Jesus is on this earth are going to reject him. That's unbelievable, but it's true. And what does God say? Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. Where's the camp of the saints? Well, Jerusalem and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and did what? Devoured them. Same thing, uh, which is in like nature to the Ezekiel 38, 39. Fire's going to come down and devour the Muslim nations. Same thing here. Satan goes out, gathers people from all over the known world, brings them uh, uh, to Jerusalem to fight against God. How's that going to turn out? 
Fighting against God does not have good results. Final verse, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever. Done. This is how history will conclude. Rapture of the church, seven-year tribulation, 1,000-year millennium. Satan is allowed out of prison to go and deceive all the nations, basically to pull all the detractors of God together. At the end of that 1,000-year period, Satan will rain fire down upon the detractors. They're gone. And then God says, here's your just do, Satan. Here's your just do, Antichrist. Here's your just do, false prophet, eternity in the lake of fire. Close with this thought. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son, Jesus Christ, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's people sitting here right now. You know who you are. I don't. There's people watching right now that if you were asked this question like was asked to uh, uh, the three people this morning, if you were to die right now, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And right there where you're seated, you say, I don't know. I'm hoping. I'm trusting. I'm trying to do my best, and I don't know. Well, listen, folks, everything that we just went through could happen in our lifetime. We don't know if it will, but it could. If the rapture happens and all of a sudden you, you show up at Union Grove Baptist Church and there's just a couple of people there and you're like, did, did I get my watch wrong? Is it the wrong time? And you walk in and there's just a couple of people and they look around and it's like, well, what happened? Where is everybody? And nobody's here. The whole world's all of a sudden wondering, where'd everybody go? Oh, no, it's not everybody. It's about 6% of the world's population that claim to be Christians right now. That means 94% are going to come up with some theory as to why 6% of the world's population disappeared. Kind of like COVID. Oh, yeah, I said that on purpose. Kind of like COVID when all of a sudden you had semi-loads of bodies being taken to the incinerator, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If you died right now, are you going to heaven? You heard three people tell you exactly what you need to do. Understand you're a sinner. Understand that because you sin, you don't deserve to go to heaven. But realize that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, proving he was God. And you say, well, I knew that when I walked in. How do I get to heaven? And Jesus said, well, there's just one thing you forgot to do. You forgot to put your faith and trust in me. And me alone, for by grace, God's free, unmerited gift are you saved. It's through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, you want to be like these three that you heard this morning and many others that are here this morning that have put their faith and trust in Christ. I invite you to do it this very moment. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these testimonies we heard this morning. Thank you for the beautiful music. Oh, Lord, my heart's stirred. I'm excited. Father, I'm excited about knowing that every single person here, every single person watching today can go to heaven if they would simply follow the scriptural mandate to place their faith and trust in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. 
If you're here this morning or watching, are you ready to finally do it God's way? Are you ready to accept that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust alone in Jesus? Nothing you can do to earn heaven. Sorry, you'll never be good enough. Would you accept that free gift? You say, what do I need to do? It's by faith and faith alone. Faith is trusting in what you can't see. It's believing on what God said he would do and has done. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe that he died? Do you believe that he rose again? Do you believe that he did that to pay for your sins? You say, well, I do believe that. Well, then simply do what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, places their faith in him, in his death, burial, and resurrection, should what? Should not perish or go to hell like the Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the rest will reject him, but have everlasting life in heaven. Right there where you are, would you receive Jesus Christ right now? Don't put it off. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Would you trust him right now? You say, I want to do that with all my heart. Well, let's tell the Lord about it. We're going to say a simple prayer. The prayer is not what will save you. It's simply telling God what you're doing in your heart if by faith you're ready to receive him. Are you ready? Well, let's, let's tell the Lord together. And as you place your faith and trust in Jesus alone, how about something like this? You can pray along silently. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. No, I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But this very moment, I understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and was raised again three days later to prove he was God. And I, taking that promise that you'll give me eternal life, if indeed I will take that free gift, and I'm taking it this very moment by faith. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Christian, are you walking with God? Are you overcoming the adversary by the power of his word, by prayer, by walking with him? If not, why don't you get right with God right now? Would you give it to him? Get out of the sinful life, whatever it might be, that's been binding you up, and give it to the Lord today. Would you do that right there where you are? Just bow your head, tell him what it is. You know what it is. I don't, you do. It's like, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of fighting you. I'm tired of living in sin. I'm tired of doing the wrong thing. I'm tired of taking the drugs. I'm tired of being on alcohol. I'm tired of being immoral. I'm tired of, of being mean and ornery and hurting folks. I'm tired of doing things that I know I shouldn't do, and I'm committing them to you this moment. By the grace of God, would you do that? Father, shield decisions.